you better stop that running or the lifeguard will bench you because you're entering the card pool. I'm your host, Stu Galetta. And I'm Kyle Robertson. And today we'll be talking about the top 10 money cards of Fifth Dawn. Now, this is part two of our two-part series looking at Fifth Dawn. You can also check out part one of the series as well, where we talk about the hidden gems that we found from this set. But without further ado, let's get on into today's review. Let's indeed. So starting our list at number one, at the lovely price of $65, we have Crucible of Worlds. This is a three-drop artifact that reads, You may play land cards from your graveyard as though they were in your hand. There are very, very few cards that are able to make it so you can play stuff from the grave as if there's no limitation on your hand and no other regard for what's happening. You typically see this kind of card in a dredge style deck or a mill deck in which you're hurting your opponent by making them lose their stuff. But for you, you're still able to get the land drop per turn or any other kind of ramp synergies that you want. Yeah, this card is deceptively powerful. It's not very flashy. It just kind of sits there and says, hey, you can play lands from your graveyard. But just think about how much this changed the game and how powerful this card is. Fetch lands are just the most obvious example. Any land that has a built-in sacrifice trigger, like a strip mine or a ghost quarter or anything like that, they become doubly good with a card like this. And for only three mana, an artifact that's going to sit there through almost the entire course of the game, assuming you can keep it around, that is pretty much going to make sure you will never, ever miss a land drop, ever, for the most part. And this card, it's funny, was actually designed by a fan. This is one of those fan-designed cards that, don't ask me why they thought this was okay to let through, but they did, and it has pretty much, up until now, and will continue, occupy a place in Magic's history. There are a couple cards that are very similar to how this card is. The only ones that come to my mind are Life from the Loom, which is a card that can return lands from the grave to your hand and can also propel your deck into the grave. And the new green Naga that we see, who has the exact same effect as this, except it's just on a creature. I was actually thinking more along the lines of Yawgmoth's Will, which is a black card from back in the day that basically, for very similar mana cost, allowed you to play pretty much anything from your graveyard as though it was in your hand, but only for a turn. This is slightly scaled back, but the fact that this is an artifact and can be played in any deck really opens up the possibilities even further. It's ridiculous how good this card can be. So enough about this guy. What is in our number two slot? Well, at our number two slot for $60, that price tag there, we have Engineered Explosives. Now, this is another artifact, surprise, surprise, costs X, so it can be anything you really want it to be. It also has the Sunburst ability, meaning that it comes into play with a charge counter on it for each color of mana that was spent to cast it. It has the ability to tap two, sacrifice engineered explosives, and destroy each non-land permanent with converted mana cost equal to the number of charge counters on engineered explosives. Right off the bat, I think the most important thing to recognize with this card is it can be played for zero and still be very, very useful. You play it for zero, you tap two to sacrifice it, destroy each non-land permanent that costs zero. Oh, let's think for a minute. Tokens. This card single-handedly annihilates a token army for just two mana. 
and it'll just continue to get better with every color of mana that you can spend on it. You can pretty much target this thing to exactly what you want to destroy. The only downside of it is that it does kind of have a ceiling of 5 mana and, you know, converted mana costs 5 cards, unless you can come up with some way to cheat more charge counters onto it, which is definitely possible. But the reason this card is so expensive is because, again, it's an artifact, it costs zero to play, basically, requires really no colors to do what it really needs to do, which is kill tokens, which makes it a staple in modern and a bunch of other formats. For that kind of price tag, it's definitely in other formats, and it's very versatile. It doesn't have to be a creature. It can be another artifact. It can be an enchantment. It could even be a planeswalker if you get it to work out the right way. Now, for commander purposes, like you said, you would need some way to proliferate this. A Trax would be a fine example to be like, all right, I only have three counters on here, but I want to make sure I can constantly keep hitting this thing. Their commander costs six. So, yeah, I want to make sure I'm always able to target their commander for just two mana. It's definitely a card that might be a little bit more niche in commander, but for other formats, ex precisely, it's, it's great. I would almost rather, in certain other formats, notably Commander, as you said, I almost prefer Ratchet Bomb to this card, because it's a very similar card with a very, very similar effect, the only downside being it doesn't scale quite as quickly. But that's really the only comparison I can think of for the kind of ease and utility of destruction that this card brings. So going for our number three slot, for the lovely price of $25, we have Ariok Champion. This is a double-white creature... That is a 1-1. One, one. It has protection from black and red. And whenever another creature comes into play, you may gain one life. So this is a great way to have something on the field that is able to protect itself. It can block, it can attack, and it will be safe. But in addition, it also gains your life. So if you play this out early enough, you'll be able to gain a lot of life. Because, no, this isn't your creatures. These are all creatures. So if your opponent's running a token strategy, you get one for their engine and whatever they're multiplying it by. One big guy comes out in the field, has red, you can chump block. Your guy will live, no damage happens. So it's just a very versatile creature that is just so good for just two mana. It's good early game, it's good late game, and it can be something to push you over the edge. The reason this card, again, has such a price tag is because while it may be somewhat good and popular in formats like Commander, Casual Play, and all that, it is a modern staple, and a staple in other older formats too, if I'm correct. Well, let's look at this card. 1-1 one, one for 2 mana, not all that great, but what colors have the best removal? Black and red. What does this have protection from? Oh wait, black and red. Also, whenever any creature comes into play, you gain one life. That's your opponent's too. Just think about how crazy this gets when your opponent tries to go for tokens against you, and you have this thing out, and you're just gaining life and laughing in their face. Also, this kind of card is the kind of card that mono red decks, which can be very competitive at times, really hate to see, because they can't really get rid of it, they can't attack through it, and not only that, but every time they try to play more creatures and kill you that way, you keep gaining more life and probably even more on top of whatever you're trying to do. This is just, a, again, a very solid, all-around, well-designed card, has a lot of homes, a lot of places. Going on to number four on our countdown here, we're looking at a price tag of $22 for, guess what, another artifact. This one is Staff of Domination. Now, this has quite a hefty text box, so let's take a look at this. Staff of Domination is a three-mana artifact, 
that has a plethora of abilities. First of all, you can tap one to untap Staff of Domination. You can tap two and tap the Staff to gain one life. You can tap three and tap the Staff to untap Target Creature. You can tap four and tap the Staff to tap Target Creature. Or you can tap five and tap the Staff to draw a card. It does certainly cost a lot of mana once you start using it a bunch of times, but hey, what are casual formats for, if not ways for generating lots of mana? There are potential infinite combos that this card can generate all by itself, and along with other cards as well. It just gets even better. Just by having all these different modes, it's really, really powerful. And I think this card is actually very good, because if you have limited mana, you can pretty much draw out your deck... Find whatever piece you need to win the game and win it. If you're low on life from some sort of thing, gain more life. If you got to tap a creature down, tap all creatures down. Swing in for big game. If you need to untap your creatures to be able to get some sort of synergies going on, do it. Like this card says, hey, I'm here for whatever you need me for, just so as long as we win the game. And it really is something that does it. It dominates. All right, so what's next on our list? I see we have more artifacts in store. We do, and it's not stopping. At number five, for $14, we have Mycosynth Golem. This guy costs a whopping 11 mana. It is an artifact creature, Golem, and it reads it has affinity for artifacts, meaning that this spell costs one less for each artifact that you control that's in play. Also, while this card is in play, artifact creature spells you have also have affinity for artifacts, meaning the same effect that I just played before. So... This guy has a lovely body of a 4-5. He can be brought out for much cheaper, and it can make it so that you can also play additional cards cheaper. You can run mirrors. You can run ingots. You can use whatever mana rocks you want, and they all count towards that. So, all right, turn one, play a land, play a soul ring. All right, so right now his, his cost drops down from 11 to 10. Tap that, play a signet. Now he's down to 9. So it's really easy to have this guy grow to be something that's very easy to play and make it so that everything else you have is way easier to oppress your opponents. Let's just get one thing straight right now. Affinity for Artifacts is gross. It is just a gross ability that probably should never have been printed because they drastically underestimated how powerful it was going to be. The fact that this guy gives all of your other artifact creatures the affinity for artifacts ability is gross to like the nth degree because as you just elaborated on Stu, it's an absolutely insane ability that can get you in highly undercosted creatures that are very, very powerful, much more so than they should be. And you actually didn't even count the possibility of artifact lands which are banned in a lot of formats just because of the merits of how good they are, being both lands and artifacts. Well, next here, we actually have, interestingly enough, an artifact that cares about a certain type of lands you play. And it's my favorite kind of land, as it turns out. So this is, at number six on our countdown, for 12 bucks a pop, is Vidalcan Shackles. This is an artifact, once again, that costs three to play, and has the ability that you may choose not to untap it during your untap step. Why would you not want to untap it? Well, let's find out. You can tap two and tap the shackles to gain control of target creature with power less than or equal to the number of islands you control for as long as it remains tapped. We actually see kind of a similar ability to this on the older card Helm of Possession, where you could sacrifice a creature, take control of someone else's creature, as long as it stayed tapped and you didn't have to untap it if you didn't want to. 
Vidalkin Shackles is just the next natural evolution of that, and the far more powerful one, actually, because while Helm of Possession required you to actually sacrifice a creature in order to take someone else's, the Shackles just keeps getting better and better and better, depending on just the merit of what kind of lands you have. Let's think about this in a mono-blue deck. Powerful? I think so. Indeed. Considering all you need are lands, that's the only real tax on this thing, it's pretty simple. Now, granted, it is harder to produce all lands into islands, whereas you could simply play Urborg to make them all into swamps, or you could play Blood Moon to make it so that they all become mountains. I mean, there are certain ways, like Prismatic Omens is a great way to make it so that they are all basic land types. So this way, for every land in play, they can all technically be islands. So for two mana, you can take someone's Blightsteel. Or, I mean, heck, you can even try to get the card that we talked about before. And now going from artifacts that you kind of want to stay in play, what about ones that takes away from your artifact count? Well, here at our number seven slot, for $11, we have Clan Ironworks. Now, believe it or not, this one does not cost three mana. It costs four. It reads simply, sacrifice an artifact, add two mana to your mana pool. If you think about it, it makes it so anything that you have on the field that you don't need anymore or you've already used can become a pseudo soul ring. It makes it really easy so you now have a sack outlet for artifacts that also produce mana for you. And blue has tons of ways to recur artifacts. We even see it with their land, Academy Ruins, where it's not hard to bring an artifact back into your deck or into your hand or other variations. But there are certain combos that you can perform with this card to go infinite, meaning infinite mana, to do infinite combinations, and just overwhelm your enemies. Yeah, this card was actually an all-star in one of my mono-red decks back in the day, because red has actually become even more so, perhaps, if just as friendly with artifacts as blue is. And as you said, Stu, Kark Clan Ironworks is basically designed to be and meant to be an infinite combo engine. Remember, it says sacrifice an artifact. You can sacrifice the Ironworks if you want, and there are plenty of loops that allow you to sacrifice it, generate two mana, get it back, and do it again over and over and over again, generating tons of mana just from this one single card. And as you said, getting rid of all your dead artifacts, or even live ones after you tap them or use them or do something else, to give you a sudden giant burst of mana can obviously be very useful. So the uncosted sacrifice outlet on this card is what really makes it powerful. So looking at number eight on our list, coming in at $10, we have Doubling Cube, which is a cube that doubles things. So it costs two to play. It's an artifact again, and you can tap three mana and tap the Doubling Cube to double the amount of each type of mana in your mana pool. And when it says type, that means color. So if you have just red mana in your mana pool, it'll just double your red. If you have both red and black, it will double both of them, or etc. and so on, and add whatever colors in there you want, even colorless, I should add. I really don't have too much to say about doubling cube, except for the fact that it's pretty obvious, once again, how powerful this card is. Let's think about it. Let's say you can somehow tap a bunch of artifacts to generate eight colorless mana. You tap the doubling cube, sure, you go down to five, but then you're up to ten. That's already two more than where you were before, and it just gets more and more ridiculous the amount of times that you can untap it and tap it, or just the amount of times you can tap other things to get mana before you use this. For the price of two mana, it surprises me that this card is only 10 bucks. It is good. 
Yeah, $10 is a steal for this thing because for a lot of colors that have trouble producing mana, this solves it and it solves it big. Like I think of Boros decks and red decks where like ramping can be kind of hard. So being able to be like, all right, I only have this much, but I need to be able to play certain things. It's huge for that. It makes a huge play. We usually see in green this kind of effect of doubling mana or green variants or green red. There's uh, the one beast I know while he's in play. All players are able to produce double mana when they tap a land. Or like Zendikar Resurgent, in which all lands you tap produce double mana. This isn't color restrictive. Granted, it does cost three to use each turn, but that is a small price to pay in order to make it go big. And again, you can play this relatively early in the game to make it so that you shoot way past your opponent like all right they're at turn four i'm at turn eight let me just overwhelm them and kill for game and now kind of going along with the theme of doubling here our next two cards and final cards here on the list are all about doubling down on certain things so Stu, why don't you lead things off with number nine so number nine for eight dollars we have a lovely card called beacon of immortality it costs five and one white it's an instant Double target player's life total. Shuffle Beacon of Immortality into its owner's library. This is a great way to save yourself if for some reason you are facing overwhelming odds. If you are at perfect life and you see someone's about to hit you with a combo and it's going to be hitting you really, really bad, you're like, all right, quick, let me double down, get my life up to a point where I should be sustainable so I am now floating over my damage. But in addition, it goes back into your library meaning that you can then reuse it later. This is something that is great to help you from flying through your deck to making sure your life can become sustainable again. It can be a Hail Mary, but it's definitely one that makes it so it is hard for your opponent to kill you as easily as they would like. I have to admit, Stu, this is one money card that I'm kind of puzzled by on this list. As you kind of explained, the real money point with these beacon cards is the fact that they shuffle back into your deck for you to use again later. But honestly, I would debate how valuable doubling somebody's life total really is. In the kind of games that we play, very often, it wouldn't matter how much life you have, you're still going to die. So, I would kind of debate whether this card, even though it is worth more money, is more powerful than our last card on the list, which kind of makes me a little bit confused. Obviously, doubling your own life total, if you're going from 40 to 80 in a typical game of Commander... Is that good? Sure. But if you're in a regular old game, you're playing with 20 life going up to 40, I would debate just how powerful that thing is. And unfortunately, this card's usefulness goes down the further down in life you are. So with some other cards that we've talked about in the past, I'm a little bit confused as to why this one is a money card because I don't really recall seeing it played anywhere. There are ways for us to cheat certain cards in, and we've seen that with a variety of other things. This is a card that you can be able to get around the casting cost. Like for Narset, for example. See, being able to cast that with that deck is very powerful because it takes a while for your commander to come into play. So generating that six man to get it out, you might be hurting for life. But also, you can duplicate this. And there's a variety of ways to fork this, for example. Like, all right, you cast it once, you double your life. But if you do it again, it doubles that life. So you're being able to get a lot of value out of it. Now, it might take some more steps to get there, but it definitely is powerful in the fact that it can keep you alive just for that one more turn. And getting to that next turn is sometimes all a player needs. So coming in last on our list of money cards of Fifth Dawn at number 10 for $7, we have Beacon of Tomorrows. Now, this is 
yet another card in the Beacon Cycle where it shuffles itself into your deck after you've played it. But this one's a little different. It's a sorcery for one. It's blue for another. It costs 8 mana, 6 and 2 blue. And now the effect on this one when you play it is target player takes an extra turn after this one. I kind of compare this card to other cards like Time Stretch, for example. If you'll recall, Time Stretch costs 10 mana to give target player two extra turns. I think there really is an open debate as to which one of these cards is better. Would I like to have two extra turns instead of one? Sure. But the fact that Beacon of Tomorrows can reshuffle itself into your deck once again is the real selling point here. And one of my very favorite things I've ever seen done with Beacon of Tomorrows is if it is the last card in your deck, you can pretty much continually loop it into play turn after turn and just take infinite turns while not dying from drawing your deck. It's kind of cool, and there's a lot of reasons, too obvious, to go into why this card is worth a lot of money. Yeah, I hate playing against it personally, and I would agree with you that I think this is a more valuable card. Granted, even though the other beacon is an instant, having more turns, needless to say, is very valuable in Magic. It makes it so that you can now get a longer lifeline to find what you need to win the game. And the fact that it does shuffle in, like you said, huge reward. This way is like, all right, I need this card again, but it's in my grave and I can't get it, gets through that problem. Well, there you have it. That's Fifth Dawn. That's our full set review. You've seen the money cards. You've seen our hidden gems. And now is the time where we get to give the set overall a rating. Take it away, Stu. So our rating scale goes from bronze, silver, gold, and the infamous platinum. After heavy consideration, I was originally going to go with gold, but the more I thought about it, I have to jump it even higher than that. This set is definitely a platinum set. There's certain effects that just broke magic. Affinity for artifacts is just a huge thing that you can still even see people just like hate the sound of it. They're like, oh my god, don't even bring up Affinity. That has totally almost destroyed my love for magic. We also see the intro to five color cards, which is groundbreaking at the time. And this set has a lot, like a real lot. Like I was afraid after we hit the money cards, after seeing Crucible of Worlds, there might not be too much in this. But I was heavily and happily mistaken. I am going to totally agree with you, Stu, and give Fifth Dawn my seal of platinum approval as well, because it really wasn't even close for me. I knew the second we started looking at this set that it was going to get a platinum rating, because just think about the concentration of game-changing cards in this set. Crucible of Worlds, Engineered Explosives, Fist of Suns, Joiner Adept, Door to Nothingness, Trinket Mage, Steel Shaper's Gift, Vidalcan Orrery, the list just goes on and on and on, and even to a lesser extent, something like Relentless Rats, for example, that doesn't really look like a whole lot, but that still broke a cardinal rule of the game at the time. Like you said, the addition of five-color theme in this was also a big consideration because it was the first set to really, really focus on it, and it's a shame that it wasn't quite good enough to really merit some more spots in our top 10 hidden gems. That said, Fifth Dawn again really, really changed the way people look at magic and still has many cards in it that people reference to this day as a baseline for what a good magic card is. Well, it looks like pool time is over once again for today. If you thought today's review was just right, be sure to check out part one of our Fifth Dawn review in our previous segment about our hidden gems from this set. Also, let us know if you agree with where we rate it. 
Do you think it's better? Do you think it's worse? Have you had any good experience with this set? So let us know in the comments down below. And if that's not really your style, be sure to let us know on Twitter by tweeting at us at mtgthecardpool or email us at mtgthecardpool at gmail.com. I'm Stu Galetta. And I'm Kyle Robertson, and we'll see you next time at the Card Pool.